0: Today's scripture comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to live kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Well, we're in our second week of this sermon series, Recalibrate, and uh, we're taking a look at uh, the priorities and the principles and the rhythms of our lives, and sometimes our priorities can be quite overwhelming. The same thing with the rhythms of our lives. We focus so much on those little things, those smaller things in life, and we miss the big picture. We lose sight of that, and we tend to focus on anything but what really matters in life. We begin to lose sight of what the Lord has called us to do, how to act, how to love how to be in relationship with God and with each other. The graphic for this sermon series has gears, as you can see, and that's much like our lives. Our, our lives have this lifeline, which is a belt or a chain that causes all the gears to go in tandem with each other. However, when we continue to add more priorities, more principles, more things to the rhythm of our lives, more gears, that belt or that chain cr- Begins to have some tension. It becomes torn and weathered and stretched out and taxed. And when more tension is added, we need to add more gears to our lives, more principles, more priorities. And it continues to get stretched and stretched and stretched. We need to put more gears in to fill those gaps. And inevitably the belt will break. So we stand in need of a recalibration of our lives, a tweaking to get our hearts, our lives, and our spirits more in line with God's than ours. Amen? Amen. Last week, Kate Priest, our summer ministry intern, who's here uh, playing piano, but in that role, uh, and uh, we welcome her yet again, but last week she preached, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 6, and we heard the words from the Shema, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And again, it's quoted by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, as Jesus is being questioned by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Lord, teacher, which law in which commandment in all of the law is the greatest? And Jesus answers this, the Shema, and he adds one more, and this is the commandment. And then he adds another one, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, and with all of your strength, and love the Lord, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus says. The Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And today we hear that echoed in the words from Micah. Both from Deuteronomy and Micah, we are not just invited to listen with our ears, but to respond with our actions. And so I want to invite you uh, to pray with me. God, as we come this morning, uh, may you fill this space. You are here in our presence, and your word says wherever two or three are gathered in your name, and Lord, we are gathered in your name this morning. And Lord, your word says that there you are with us. So move amongst our midst, and may we stay committed and focused on you. May this word from Micah come alive and inspire our hearts. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, because, oh God, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, in 1962, there was a franchised restaurant that began in Irvine, California. Does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? Don't shout it out. Raise your hand. Only one, and that's my wife, because she already heard this. Um, but uh, we're getting there, all right? 1962, Irvine, California. It was a fast food restaurant. Any hands going up yet? Okay, we're getting there, okay. It's a fast food restaurant that focuses on three main ingredients. One, two, three. Ready for this? Meat, cheese... And a taco shell. What is it? Del taco. No, it's not Del Taco. Sorry. <laughs> it has taco in the name. What, what restaurant is it? Shout it out. Taco Bell. Hallelujah. They just opened up so you can get there after church. Okay. Taco Bell. All right. And let me just step aside. This sermon has not been, uh, you know, given permission to promote Taco Bell. I hope the royalty check is in the mail, though. Uh, so we're getting there. Over the past six decades, they have grown to over 7,072 locations, serving over 2 million people every single year. Whether you love it or whether you could do without it, listen, I could eat Taco Bell every day, okay? But that's just one of your pastors, alright? Whether you could, whether you love it or you could do without it, they are always reinventing themselves. Coming out with new combinations of those three main ingredients. What are they? Meat, cheese, and taco shell. You guys are great this morning. Three main ingredients in a multitude of lip smacking dishes. Delicious. Taco Bell. Mm, My mouth is salivating right now. Okay. This. These three main ingredients and their marketing campaign and the way that they do business is the same way that we as the church need to do business. At the core of the church, we must always remain faithful to our communal nature and mission. Because at the foundation of us as the church, we will always need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who come across our path. That will never change. Amen? The gospel good news will never change. Amen? God is always for us. But the way that we do church... The way that we live out that gospel and the way that we interact with others should always be evolving. Amen? Kind of like Taco Bell. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, through Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet we are the ones that stand in need of changing. Our primary task as the church is to be the manifestation of God's presence in the community where we find ourselves. We're called to transform the world and to join in God's redemptive acts in this world by bringing about salvation and redemption. The church and us as the people of God, the disciples of Jesus Christ, have always faced difficulties. We've always faced challenges in and through our lives. But the thing is, friends, the way that we respond to those challenges, the way that we gain in our understanding of who God is and what God is doing in our lives, that always develops out of these challenges. We can see God's steadfast hand throughout it all. Amen? What is God calling us to do here and now? That never changes. To seek the lost. To share the gospel good news with all people. And to repent of sin. Amen? We are the ones who stand in need of changing. Oftentimes we try to overcomplicate what God calls us to do, and maybe we even overemotionalize. it. We overcomplicate God's mission for our lives, and we cannot allow our own agenda, our own wants, our own wills, and our own desires to be in front of that which God is calling us to do. We need to recalibrate our lives to be more in tune with God's will and God's kingdom rather than our own will and the kingdom that we're trying to build. Overcomplicating God's mission and what the Lord requires of us is unfortunately not a new problem. The Israelites had this same problem, and I want to invite you to open up uh, your Bibles to Micah 6 if you have them with you. Micah 6. The Israelites had this same problem, and they were going through some uh, serious issues with the Assyrians of that day. The Assyrians were a powerhouse kingdom, which uh, this was a time 740 years before the time of Christ. The Assyrians had taken over the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah just, just followed suit. They gave in without a fight. Micah's prophetic tenure lasted about three different kings, all of which are corrupt their pawns or their puppets for the Assyrian kings and this kingdom corruption continues to trickle down it continues to trickle from the king to the people The Israelites begin to compromise their uh, religion, their values, their priorities, the principles that they live by. And so they say, oftentimes, as they're going to the temple, yes, we love God, we love the Lord. And yet they continue to offer sacrifices in the temple. They continue to live uh, the religious lifestyle. They bring those animals up to the temple to be offered uh, or to be slaughtered for obedience to God. And yet they don't worship God. They do it because of it's an action rather than a conviction of their heart. They say, God, yeah, um, we were okay in relationship with you in the past, but that was the past. We want to be uh, a people, a follower of the Assyrian gods. We would rather follow them because they have power. They have wealth. We want to live how people in power live. The people who are living around us. Yet they still bring their sacrifices to the temple as a form of appeasement of the relationship with God. They're practicing the form of religion because it's a, a habitual in nature. They're just going through the motions, attending the rituals without honoring God. The Israelites are embodying what's called religiosity, which is the practice or the form of religion or worship without having a true change in your heart or in your mind or in your actions or in your life. They do all of these religious rituals, yet there is no change in their heart. And so Micah six begins uh, like a courtroom setting of sorts. Charges have been brought, questions were asked. Micah six, if if you're there. The matter at hand is what must we do to gain God's good favor, to earn God's respect and God's protection throughout this life. Yet we have failed to remember, and so have the Israelites, that God through the prophet Micah asks What have I done to you? Don't you remember? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you out of the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses. Don't you remember? Answer me, God says. Answer me. Don't you remember how I've been with you through it all? God gets a little angry. The Israelites missed that mark yet again. What do you want, God? God? Do you want intrinsic liturgies, complicated things like those liturgies that we did before? Burnt offerings, of a year-old calf, a thousand rams, outrageous child sacrifices, pilgrimages to distant lands, ten thousand rivers of oil? They're going down the list. They're trying to check it all off. This is what the Lord requires of us. Boom, boom, boom. Ten thousand rivers of oil. What do you want from us, God. The corrupt questions that are being asked on behalf and by the Israelites. They're trying to bribe their way out of trouble. And the prophet Micah is, he's not so much concerned about how they broke God's law, but how they broke God's heart. The Israelites were going down this checklist one by one, thinking and knowing and, and truly trying to discern what God wants from them. How is, are we going to be back in relationship with God? One, one, one checking one thing right after another off of our list. If we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes do this too, right? Oh god, I know that you require uh, church attendance and that one time that I went to church on Christmas Eve in 1996, that that works, right god? Oh God, you require service and I went to Thanksgiving or I went to a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving and served people. That checks the list, right? I'm good. I've atoned for my sins until Jesus comes back. I am good to go. But no, what the Lord requires from us is not that at all. And so Micah, finally, he can't stand it anymore. And he answers in Micah 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, O human one, what is good. Don't keep asking what you are supposed to do. Don't keep trying to discern what God's will is for your life. Don't keep using your favorite excuse that you are confused. He has told you, O mortal one, what to do. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Can we say that together? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. It's not a checklist, but it's a life that is grounded and focused and centered and calibrated on God. Oftentimes when I find myself, uh, just in need of a time to pause, I'll just take a deep breath and touch my face. It's weird, right? It's okay, you can laugh about that. But I'll stop, and I'll pause, and I'll pray, but I'll just touch my face. Whatever anxiety that I'm going through just seems to diminish. The same is true for this passage as well. Once we put in our lives so many gears and so many things that that belt continues to get bigger and bigger and worn and stretched out, we begin to lose sight of what really matters and we need a time and a place where we're able to center ourselves and recalibrate and pause and be still and know that God is God and that we are not. Amen? Even in the midst of the valley of the shadow. Even in the midst of the depths of despair, in all of the worst possible moments in life, in the pains and the hurts that we experience, God is there. Amen? God doesn't want us to just abandon Him when things are challenging, much like the Israelites abandoned God when they were no longer wanting and desiring a relationship with God. Micah was calling those Israelites to remember, remember how God had been with them throughout it all. Remember that they already know what the Lord requires from them to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. You already know what to say. You already know how to act. You already know what to do. You already know how you are called to live. It's written on your hearts. So what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And my friends, this isn't just a requirement or three requirements for a season, right? Oh, you know, we can just do it in the winter and the fall, but the spring and the summer? No, we don't really need to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Or maybe on days uh, that are Sunday and Saturday and Friday, uh, but the rest of the week? No, we don't need to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. But no, God is calling us and requiring us that as we go throughout this entire life, that this should be our mission. Sometimes we overcomplicate it, and sometimes we underestimate it, and sometimes we over-sentimentalize it, but we cannot allow other things to take over as the priorities of our lives. We should never allow agenda to be filled with so much other than what God is calling us to do. Because when we do so, we lose sight how we are called to act, how we are called to love, how we are called to be in relationship with God and with others. This overcomplication of things has continued and has been a problem with humanity before the time of Jesus and after and continues to be so today. God said through John in Revelation 2 to the people in Ephesus as they had abandoned their first love. Here's what it says. I know your works, God says, your toil, your endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who have claimed to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. I also, God says through John, I also know that you are enduring and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But, kind of like Micah, but I have this against you, God says. That you have abandoned your first love, the love that you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Micah, Revelation. Even before that, remember what I have commanded you. Remember what I have done for you. Don't just talk about the days of old, but do it and live it out. Be the people that I have called you to be. And here are the requirements that I have for you to do justice. Let's say it together again. Ready? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Jesus never gives us a belief or an idea or a conviction that we're just supposed to think about when it comes to the kingdom of God with every teaching, every belief, every conviction, every idea that Jesus presents to his followers, and that includes us. It's never a question, will you just solely or simply believe in this? But he says, what are you going to do about what you believe? Jesus gives us an example by actually showing up for people, by actually caring for people, by actually loving people, by actually living in relationship with people. And when we do that, when we follow Jesus' example and love and care and enter into relationship with people who are beat down by the issues of life, then we will know what God's will for our lives truly is and how we are called to respond. Do justice. The second, love, mercy, mercy. The word that is used here is also interchanged with loving kindness. It's the word said. It's a connotation that it is steadfast and merciful and unshaken and slow. It's the way that the Lord has loved us. And when we add loving kindness to doing justice, it means that we don't just give people what they deserve. It means that we give them better than they deserve. It means that we treat them with loving kindness, meaning that we enter into these relationships with them, even people who are of different folds, even people who don't look like us or act like us or sweat as much as we do. Whew, Lord. Friends, we enter into relationship with people that are different than us. And that's a hard thing because we want to be people and creatures of habit, right? We want to be people who are in relationship with people who look like us, right? But God calls us to go beyond that. God calls us into relationship with all people who come across our path. Even people who have hurt us. How can I be required to love? Some of these people have hurt me. Can't I just fix them and let them go about their way? And God, you can do the rest. No. It's not justice unless it's done with loving kindness. And that's the hard part. It leads us to our third one. The third requirement from God. And that is what mortals, all of humanity, have been required to do since day one in the garden. To walk humbly with God. As we join together with one, two, and three, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't mean that one is going to lead to two and two is going to lead to three. But it means that we are all together fitting these requirements out for our lives. Maybe walking humbly with God comes first, and then we go and we are thrust into doing justice and loving mercy. Maybe doing justice and loving mercy comes first, and maybe then we will walk humbly with God. Everybody's call, everybody's narrative for their life is different. And yet at the heart of it is walking with God always and being in a community of faith. But here's a question, and I've been wrestling with it too for this past week. In these requirements, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God, are these even achievable? Can we ever do enough justice in the world? Especially an unjust world. When will you have ever adequately cared and enter into relationship with enough people who are deemed as other? When will, you, have you ever done enough to Pay back those requirements that God has placed on your lives. When have you ever been able to be the body of Christ for someone? When will you ever be able to satisfy the love that God has for you and pay that back? Over this past week, as I've been thinking, the answer came and never. And we confess that. God is not trying to set us up for failure, not by any means, but God is calling us and setting out these requirements for our lives. And yes, we're going to fail. Yes, we're going to fall, but God is there. Yes, we're going to overcomplicate it, but God is there calling us back to the reality of the situation where we find ourselves. And this is truly what God requires for our lives. The book of James says that we are called to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. We need to move beyond the talk and knowledge what, and knowledge about what we are supposed to do and actually do what God is calling us to do, to do and to be and to live as Christ lives for us. When we commit ourselves to the requirements of God, these aspirations of community and doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God, we get to see Jesus and the body of Christ come alive, transforming us into the very image of the Savior. So what? What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. How are you going to do that? How are you going to respond to those requirements that God has set before you? How are you going to make these requirements an action in your life? My friends, we have been given this task, and oftentimes, every single time, we overcomplicate it. We add, much like the Israelites, oh God, what do you want? Intrinsic liturgies, outlandish child sacrifices. God, what do you want from us? We try to appease that relationship with God. But all God wants from us is to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Amen.